Well, welcome back to the Back of the Bus podcast. You know, Ryan and I got a little carried away. We already recorded an episode with uh, Kevin Field. It's a great episode, so we're looking forward to hearing some of the feedback from that. But in that process, we realized that we uh, quite hadn't uh, shared much about ourselves. And there's some people who maybe know a lot about us, but uh, others might have no idea. So we figured this would be a great moment, actually, to just go back and do a recording of... uh, Something to, to launch first before we start getting into all our guests so people kind of have a, a good understanding of, of who we are and what we uh, are trying to promote here. And I think the big one, and you can you can back me up on this one, Randy, is that we want to share kind of the reality of what it's like to be a professional in the sport. And, you know, like obviously our big interests are people who, who've made it to the highest level, what they've learned, what kind of sets them apart from from others but also just the reality of what it is to bash your head in day in and day out in over in belgium and france and all these crazy races and you know i, I think of a race that just happened recently Depana. it's a race a little known race that not many know about but one of the craziest races i can imagine so we want to touch on those stories and uh, i think both of us kind of experienced a lot over there and <laughs> in different ways in in Europe so yeah be, so before we we get on to our guests it's going to be Ryan and I hashing it out so Ryan spent some years on uh, direct energy big french team and Randy maybe just give us a little rundown of first of all what was it like just making it to that team because everyone's story to like a professional team it's like a bit of a shit fight especially coming from Canada and then you know coming into those first races i always remember like you had such a good plan, and I always, I always thought this was a great idea. It's like you hit hard at the beginning of the season, show, show what you can do. So you, you almost like have to go crazy in the training camps and, and just be super fit for like the first races. So with those French guys and those French style teams, they're just judging you constantly. So you know, like if you don't come out with a bang, you're you're in some serious trouble. You basically won't make any of the selections of the races. So. Maybe uh, tell us a bit about that whole process, Randy. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely it. Like I, I was always came into the year pretty hot. Um, I don't know why exactly, but it, even growing up in like a pretty cold climate, but it just that fresh and yeah, I was putting good work in the winter. But same like you're saying, at Direct Energy, my first race was uh, Marseille, and I ran fifth. Uh, three guys stayed away, so third in the bunch. What was it? Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, Man, that, that was like thinking, that was geez, a this was a good friggin' addition to the team here. Yeah, and I mean that was like the only chance I think. Like, well, I guess that was like helping to set the that I wasn't a shit kicker because you know you come into the team and it's like the, for me there was so many teammates that I had I had never heard of any of these guys or like half of them you know and yeah. uh, turns out they're all really really good bike racers <laughs> but you don't you don't just don't know the names you don't hear about them very much and um so anyways they're looking at me like a fucking foreign canadian like oh who the hell is this guy where the hell do we find him and uh so yeah so that was uh that kind of started things on a good note at least it's like okay you know this guy can he's not completely useless so um, important i think and, it, and, yeah. it, and it, it, it's hard because it definitely taxes you for you know that like that long duration of the season but you have to make that initial impression because that euro style is all about just looking at you and judging and you know it's harsh so you have to show that you're you're a fighter and you're willing to 
to do it all, you know? And I think that's something people don't quite understand is that difference in mentality. It's just like you're getting thrown into a shark tank and you got to, those first few impressions are so important. Yeah. I think it's like probably similar to like any kind of new job, right? Too, you're going into like a new environment, uh, you know, some of those relationships of the people that believe in you are, you're not, they're not around you anymore. It's a lot of new people. Uh, I mean, sure. If you're a big, big rider, but I don't know, it was never a big rider. So it was trying to, you know, set, find my place, set my place early on was, was something. And I remember though, I came in so hot for Marseille and right after that, I went to Mallorca to do like a little training hangout, I guess, for, um, leading into the next races. I mean, for me, Europe was still pretty new too, right? So I was like, oh, I'll go check out this place. Everyone goes and tra- trains around this island. And uh, anyways, I got so sick after Marseille. I was just like laid <laughs> up in this hotel. <laughs> yeah, overcooked the motor. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then the next one I went back to is uh, Hodvar. And we, I, I, I'm sure Eau Claire was was there. So like, guys won the race a bunch of times. And it was, yeah, we had a had a good team. And those French races are so crucial. It's like for French teams, it's just like. Yeah, I'd like to quickly touch on that is is a lot of times people might look on cycling news and say like, halt var, like what the hell is that, right? But if you're on a French professional team, that is like, it's a world championships within France, right? I mean, it's so important to those teams, that whole French cup aspect, right? Because they have a whole other series going on. And I remember like racing those races and, and sometimes wondering what the hell is going on. And then I started understanding they have this whole series where, you know, like within within France, this is a big deal. So all of a sudden you'll see different tactics in play just because it's a French cup, right? So maybe kind of tell us a bit about how that was a like something you actually had to pay attention to and something that was important for a team like Direct Energy. Yeah, and I think that was something I had to learn. I learned because at first I had, I didn't really realize. Um, like, of course, at Marseille, you know, for instance, I tagged the most points in the in the team for that one. So, like, that was that was like the big high five. It was like, okay, you know, great, we got points. And then it was later, like we were, yeah, we were at a, another race, and it was like we had we had actually won, and uh, I think I was eleventh. So like, I don't know, like, I, I still to this day don't actually know how deep the points go or how they all work. Um, but it was just like, yeah, the owner was like, oh yeah, but you could have got 10th and we would have got more points. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, but we won. <laughs> uh, well, what uh, are we doing yeah. here? Like, I thought it was to win the fucking bike race. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and, I, and you see it though, like you see it when you, yeah, I mean, you would have noticed it when you go to the Italian races too, like the Italian Pro Conti teams are racing for their, which I think gives one of them a Giro invite. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the French teams, though, it's just the same. Yeah, it's like, depending on which guy you have, too, at the race, it would depend on, like, who would be more responsible to do the, the early work. But it would be, like, the most, kind of the four four or five French teams. Now, um, I wasn't, I was done with direct energy when, like, the B&B hotel started. So, like, just another another one popped into the mix, right? It was, yeah, it's, oh, it's interesting. So, you know, you go from... Hot bar, and then now you start building up around that. You know, it's like kind of that you were on the classics crew, right? With like Chavanel and and kind of some real hitters, right? Like guys who are capable of some results, right? So now you're your first year over there, and you're going to get chucked into talk about some of those races. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, yeah, shit. I mean, you know them all. It was, uh, for me, it was like, it was so exciting too. And it knew, like, I had done those races too at Spider Tech, but it was just like a different level. Like, Chavanel was obviously really good. And, and we had also Adrian Petit, he was riding well. Some guys maybe doesn't recognize the name as much, but that year too, I think he was like 10th in Urbay. Uh, yeah. Chavanel was probably the one that was up there in Flanders, but it was just like, yeah, you know, like it was, it was my first time riding with these guys and they, like, you know, they, there was a lot more of a purpose for what we were, uh, trying to achieve and, and figure it all out. And, and Chavanel loved the classics, right? So you, you just, and Antoine too, Duchesne, the guy knows like all the roads so well. Oh, so Antoine's just, incredible up there. I mean, again, you know, like a lot of people probably wouldn't know his his skills as a rider in the sense of if they're just looking at results or what he's doing with FDJ, you know. But uh, Antoine is is an incredible bike handler, and he knows those roads. And I'm telling you, like, it, it took me forever to figure out those fucking roads. I remember sitting in, uh, yeah. you know, meetings, and, and they're just going on and on about the different roads and this corner and this hill. I still... You know, even a few years later, I still just like, yeah, okay. You mean the cobbled one that goes straight up? Yeah, okay, that one, okay. That, like, it made no difference. They were all kind of the same to me. They were just janky little goat path roads. And, and uh, it wasn't until I really started, you know, feeling like I might be able to do something in those races that I started paying attention. But otherwise, it was just sounded like gibberish to me. Yeah, and they're all like, yeah, exactly. They all kind of meld in, and I, I, for me, they would start to figure them out just like from scarring experiences, and because you do yeah. them so many times <laughs> in all those races, and you're just like, oh shit, yeah, this is the place that I never came back from, you know? And then, <laughs> <laughs> like that, because you're just like, if you don't know, all of a sudden you're riding along, you're on the national road or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're just going warp speed, and yeah, uh, yeah and then you know, all of a sudden you're at the back. And then they turn left. You're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, man. How many times uh, that happened in my life? I'm just like, why are we going so fast right now on this fucking highway? Oh, yeah. yeah. Ten, minutes, ten minutes later, you realize why people were doing turn and burns on the front at like 800 watts, you know? And it's just for that yeah. one crucial part of the race. And then now you're in a group of five, just like, oh, this looks like the rest of our day, you know? Like, just because of that yeah, one yeah. moment. And it doesn't like, I was like, it was, I was funny. Like, you know I mean? I'd be at the back just watching what's going on. Oh yeah. Look at this guy, you know, and that guy was like a pre-race favorite and, and they're, they're in the shit right now. The team's trying to move them up. And it's just like, it doesn't, at, at some point in those races, it doesn't even matter what team you're on or who you are. It's just, they're doing crazy things too, right? The whole team's trying to move this, this one uh, golden egg up and it's just, yeah. yeah. I, how they don't end up in the canal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, quite yeah. often they do, like that one <laughs> BMC experience I think you yeah. talk about. <laughs> I, and I remember, I, was, yeah. I think I was like on the other side of the bunch trying to like move my guys up. And I remember just looking over and hearing that awful, you know, the scraping of metal on concrete or whatever. And it was the whole bloody team went, went down there. And that's just the kind of stuff yeah. that happens in those races. And it's like... You know, when it's written up about, it's just a little blurb like, yeah, Team BMC had a bunch of riders crash. And it's just like, no, when that happened, it was fucking epic. Like, we were going warp speed, like on one of those false flat downhills on those little concrete kind of lanes with the, it was like, um, you know, on either side, there's like those big berms, right? So there wasn't any room to go out into a field or anything. And it's that kind of broken, uh, chunky 
concrete that uh, you find in Belgium, you know, dunk, 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 out with the crack down the middle. Yeah. So that's always causing stress. Guys are trying to hop from one side to the other. So it's always creating this stress, right? As if in Belgium, you don't have enough stress as it is. The fucking crack down the road, guys are constantly trying to like, you know, shift away from that. So it's constantly creating this movement to pushing out. And yeah, I remember that whole team going down. But The crack you're talking about is like too... When I first came over, and I remember Dominic Roland, we'll probably get him on here at some point, and he's a like, just tells me, is that's Death Valley. <laughs> Stay out of Death Valley. <laughs> oh, my God, Death Valley. <laughs> you know, because sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not so bad. Like, your tire could actually roll over it parallel, like, or, like, within the same, you could ride in. It's not, it's tight. And then in other places, it will completely eat your wheel. Right. So it's like you yeah. can't rely on it being consistent. 2009, 10, 11, 12 for me. Like we were on 23 millimeter tires at that time, too. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a yeah. different world yeah. now with, with the with the bigger. T- I mean, I don't think it's like you can still drop in that crack. No problem. But I just think running yeah. bigger, bigger tires in general on, on those roads would just be yeah so much better. Like I remember when we'd throw on the Roubaix tires you know, for Roubaix, I always remember going like, geez, I would, I would like to just race in these normally. But then, you know, you always have like the weight guys and all the tech guys like, Oh no, it's too heavy too not good acceleration. But I was like, ah, it feels so fucking nice. One of the training camps, Hutchinson, they came in, they were like talking to us about tires and they're asking, he's like, why would you like to have the, you know, less rolling resistance or grip? I'm like, fuck grip. I'll take grip all day long. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I mean, I think you realize that's just like, that's just one of those crucial things. Like I, yeah, I would. So uh, another great example of that is I was racing with uh, Garmin and my first year and, uh, 2009 and we had uh vittoria as a sponsor sorry vittoria but i'm not going to say very nice things about <laughs> you but that year i think they buggered up their whole uh compound right their their rubber compound and i think they made it too hard and it was the kind of thing where everyone was absolutely shitting themselves to ride in the rain with with these tires and i'll never forget because i Danny Payton and I made the the break the break in um, San Sebastian, and of course, you know it's the Basque Country, so it's raining. Standard. <laughs> and Danny and I are just happy to be in this break, so we're not taking risks. We're not doing anything out of the normal. But <laughs> every time on the fucking descent, both of us would crash. <laughs> We'd be doing like the same <laughs> the same line as everyone else, not touching the brakes, and we'd just be down sliding on this you know this greasy tarmac and i tell you like we we 10 different crashes right like we're chasing back onto the breakaway oh it was it was brutal and uh it turns out i think uh, they they just buggered up the 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 compound but yeah we definitely paid the price as north americans eh? don't know how to ride the bike <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> we're north americans that's right we that's right everyone would have just been looking at us like you fucking dummies <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah yeah i had a i had a spell in uh in the second 2017 i guess i there was a month I, I think i fell off in every race i did that month <laughs> and it was just like the teammates too they're starting to look at me like what's what is wrong with this guy you know you get you hit one of those <laughs> nothing to do with the tire comp just wow yeah, decided I mean, to hit everything that month there is there is like you you go through 
bad periods. And I will say, like, when you've had a few bad crashes, you tend to do the wrong thing. It's worse. Like, it's counterintuitive because you would hope that you would be, like, more handle your bike better and be more cautious, maybe. But instead, that caution Mm -hmm. creates you to second guess and analyze things. And that's what actually fucks you up when it comes to crashes, I believe. Like, I, I believe everything we do on bikes, especially in racing, is instinctual. And when you overanalyze, overthink, uh, actually a great thing I remember, not a great thing, but uh, a great point to that is I had, a, I was coming back from a really bad concussion and I felt like I was relearning how to ride the bike. And I'll never forget because I, I lost that instinct on descending. And for, for probably like a month, I would be descending and actually thinking about how to brake again. And I'd be doing weird shit like in the the apex of the corner, I would put on full brake and like the rear tire would slide out. I'd be like, whoa, you know, and it was just because I was having to relearn and and connect all those synapses again to actually remember what it is to like descend. And that's that's how I feel it is when you come back from a bad crash as well. Like you just do stupid shit. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it sucks because it's like you need maybe a month of like racing to kind of get back into that like confidence again and that's something again a lot of people don't understand and some guys don't have a problem with it all and others can suffer for months with it right yeah i think like you said though you're you know you're trying to relearn but you're also trying to relearn in a pack of like 180 guys flying down (laughs) this mountain descents yeah. Like, you get a bunch of guys, you know, whizzing up your left, right? And you're like, oh. Guys, come on. Yeah. Jeez, I'm just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> Can you oh, just relax? Man. No arrow tucks yeah. right next to me when we're in the middle of the bus. Yeah. And, and I have seen that before. Uh, yeah. Going down a descent. Actually, it was in Tor Swiss. And I mean, it was, you know, you're going going down this descent we're already doing 80k an hour and there's a young fella right next to me in the aero tuck on the top tube and i'm just looking at him like <laughs> where, we're at 140th spot and i'm just like where the fuck are you going bro <laughs> so you know <laughs> like especially didn't do the pedal tuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure yeah oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's, that's kind yeah. of the stuff that goes on in, in within these races that um, you just you don't see watching it from the outside, right? You see the front of the race, the hitters just smashing it up climbs. But, man, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in between. And uh, I guess yeah. one race I would like to shine a little light on, you and I have both done, I'd say it's probably the world's hardest 1.HC race. It, it's just finished up. It's been turned into a one day. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it used to be a three day stage race. And this was always kind of brought up as like a a pre Flanders hit out, you know, like just a kind of easy going stage race, right? To test your legs to prior to Flanders, right? And for me, it was always one of the, I mean, because I had a time trial, I always took it quite seriously because I, you know, I had, I've had a few moments in that race where I could do quite well. But man, this race is like a double day though. Oh yeah, yeah. Time the, trials at double day. Don't forget that nice little morning stage. <laughs> and and to so add not, to that, sir, you've had two epic <laughs> road stages that are like kind of like mini Flanderses, and then you have it. It's on the weekend where they do the time change. So that morning stage oh, is yeah. already early, and then the time jumps even an hour further ahead. So guys are pretty crusty. Let's let's say when you're up there racing on the dikes and it's already 
blowing out into different bunches on the, you know, like you, you, I don't know if you remember that course, but it's on those narrow little paths on the, on the dikes there. And then you, you have that, yeah. that horrible run into, into town with the railroad, uh, uh, tracks on going up the middle of the road and guys are like moving up on the other side, you know, jumping over the tracks and it's pissing rain. And one of the final corners, you probably remember this one, there's always a pile up there, but you actually cross over railroad tracks, eh? Like to, yeah. to, to go up to the, the main straightaway to the finish. So it, this is one of those races that it, it's just wild to me that this is like a, I mean, it's great pre Flanders because if you can get through Flanders, uh, Depana, you're ready for everything, right? Like there's not one thing that that crazy race doesn't throw at you, but maybe, um, I, I'm sure we're both scarred from this memory, but just tell the people a little bit about the neutral of the first stage. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Like those, those things, they're not, they're not neutral. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just chaos. I mean, like a, a guy with a flag and a car. Is trying so to just go. to give a little bit of the, the setting here, we're on the, the coast, right? It's um, uh, right on the, the coast of Holland there. And uh, it's kind of like like the starting like the Disneyland of of, uh, Belgium. Is that the one? Is it Cockside? Uh, It doesn't doesn't matter. Look, it's uh, it's right on the coast. And and basically you run down along the beach on a little alleyway with a bunch of poles in it. Right. So you'd think normally that would be very neutralized. That would be like the safest part of the race. They and the car would control that. But it's typical, like it's a Belgi commissaire in there, and the wind's howling already, right? So everyone's nervous. Everyone wants to be in the front for when we make this corner and get out of the town and it opens up on the fields, right? So it's already a shit fight on the coast behind the car. And what does the car do keep doing? Because it wants to beat everyone to the corner or to the next pinch point where the poles, because bike riders are absolute dummies. They will keep swamping the car so it actually has nowhere to go, right? <laughs> so we, we make it worse on ourselves because everyone is so competitive trying to be at the front. So before you know it, the car's already doing 50K an hour. And you just started at the back. It's already like starting to like, there's like little groups forming. And then you get out to the where it actually, and I've seen the race end like where the groups remain the groups as they were at kilometer zero basically by the time the neutral has start like finished that the whole race is completely sorted out i've actually seen that in yeah. a in a tapana and i'm sure it's it's the same but that energy there's crashes i mean in my mind there should never be a crash in a neutral unless it's like just a stupid mistake right a bottle falls or something right but in yeah. this race it was crashes over positioning guys coming up from on curbs and through a driveway and over someone's lawn and through their their garden furniture you know i mean it's it's I just really get it. it's shit fight how about Rubey? give me some yeah. stories from Rubey. yeah so Rubey's another one where you know if if you've ever watched Rubey from from beginning to the end, you'll you'll look at this first 100K before the first sector and just be like, oh, it's open highways. It looks kind of boring, you know? And, you know, Randy, you and I have probably both been put on breakaway duty a few times at this race. Here you are lining up with your big heavy Roubaix wheels and tires and bike set up. And sometimes it's a bike you haven't even ridden, right? You might have done it in recon mm-hmm. and been like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is ready for an almost 300-kilometer race of hell. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're on this 
this bloody highway and it's windy and you're on, you're on breakaway duty and everyone wants to be in the breakaway. I mean, Matt Heyman won out of the bloody breakaway. I think that's probably made Roubaix probably harder since that, that year when Heyman won. Because <laughs> everyone's like, yeah, you know, and a lot of guys go quite deep, right, from being in the breakaway as well. Like guys can run top top five, top ten sometimes. So yeah. it's it's like the place to be because you get into the rhythm, you miss all the crashes of the first sectors, and then, you know, if you've if you're on a good day, you've had time to eat and look after yourself in the breakaway. And that that way by the time the hitters come across you can just tag on and they're not going to expect anything out of you because you know, you they know you've been in the break and they're, they're just doing their thing. So if you can hang on, you can pull a big result in Roubaix. So everyone wants to be in that breakaway. And I'll tell you those first rolly hundred K are just brutal, especially, you know, like if you're on a team where it's, there's a few of you on, on duty, you gotta be there for your buddy, right? Like you can't just let him be by himself because <laughs> It's constant, eh? It's constant. And, you know, like that that race will split apart at certain times prior to that first sector, eh? Yeah, well, so I did, the only year I did it was the year Heyman won. And uh, so That's me, right. I was on break duty. And I was like, well, I mean, the break was the only way I was going to, there was somebody who was going to, if I got in the break, somebody would actually know I was at this race. Otherwise, I have to come on here and tell my own story, tell people I was there. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, you know I, that was unique that race in Flanders was unique in terms of it's like okay you see you know like you guys were going for the break uh, BMC quick step like you don't like uh, small little yeah. small race you never see them going for the breakaway it's not the little now like, teams trying to be a few guys in the breakaway it's every team and big names <laughs> are going for that yeah. breakaway right yeah so, so that was probably the most epic 100k I've ever done uh, the first part there, and and uh, we had missed. We were going for the breakaways, right? When and we didn't make it, and then uh, that big group went. That kind of was like that. Remember, Cavendish came that year. It got a lot of press, and there was a big group that rolled. So, anyways, we we had nobody in there, so I had to ride first Roubaix. I, I was taking pulls. I was taking oh. pulls. I, I was like, this is this is the last one is ever gonna. This is my last pull. So I, my roommate is over, and yeah. uh, a stand and missed, and maybe three of our teams, and we were just like, yeah, I thought this was it. This is the last pull I can do. And then sure enough, we finally brought that one back. And then the next group that went had Heyman, and we had Chavanel, and I was like, he was like our A plan. Yeah. Um, and then I went to the back and hung on as long. And me and you, we I think we were at the back together just watching the show. People just. Boom, everywhere <laughs> you know once we hit the first sectors <laughs> you know, in the in the field yeah i mean yeah that's that's a very typical experience sometimes your job is just i mean if you've really done your due diligence to try and make that breakaway and it doesn't happen because it doesn't always happen for us you know by the time like the race kicks off you know into the arnberg you're done you're not following anything. Yeah. You're not. You're barely hanging in the bunch at that point. So I think that's something for people to understand. Is like for a lot of guys, their job is kind of a, a a certain point of that race. And then another thing I wanted to talk about on Roubaix is for a lot of people who watch it on TV, right? It's like, and I remember for myself the first time I watched it, I'd be like, "Oh, that race looks sweet. It looks fun. You know, the cobbles look cool. You know," <laughs> and. And while they certainly are pretty, pretty awesome and that race is gnarly and, you know, for the guys who are ripping it in that race, I uh, just all respect. But I have to say, for example, Randy, what do you think about like the Forest of Arnborg 
cobbles. Like I think some people need to just go and feel what that's like to try and ride that. And, and to understand that they're actually only a little bit better at speed. But if you have to ride them at 30K an hour, 25K an hour, you're absolutely getting hammered. Yeah. I think it's like, so the first time I ever saw it was in the pre-ride and um, like, <laughs> for you know, in, in live. And, and it's like, it is like you do the pre-ride and you're like, yay, this is fun. <laughs> it's cool. But that specific sector you come in, it's just, it's kind of eerie. Cause you just, you just know it's going to be, it's, it's, you know, it's a very iconic part and I ah, just, the run in and, uh, there was, uh, you know, I was, I think I was watching the weather forecast like every five minutes. Cause there was, a, there was a chance of rain and I was like, you know, Antoine's telling me it's like, literally it's a field sprint going into this thing for the guys that are there. And, uh, yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> terrified to see what it was going to be like, but it's, it's cool all in the same thing, but yeah, it's long too. Eh? I, that's why I've been watching a lot of bike racing lately on TV and the TV doesn't really, it doesn't no. do it justice. <laughs> it's funny. You bring up like the, the weather aspect, like with the rain. And I, that was something I was always kind of really watching prior, you know, you're just hoping like, don't be a wet Roubaix. And what's really funny is I did both tour de France's with the Roubaix uh, stages. And sure enough, you know, here we are in July and it's fucking raining, right? So talk about adding more stress. To, uh, and I just felt so bad for the GC guys, right? It's one thing for the guys who want to be up there in the north racing those crazy style of races. But now these GC guys have to go on and fight away on the, the you know, on the cobbles in the and it's pissing rain and it's just crashes. I mean, talk about throwing a spanner in the works for some of these guys. That's, uh, that's one of the things that blows my mind when I, when I think of uh, GC riders is just – the stuff they have to be able to do and the versatility they need, right? It's not just being a climber in a, in a decent time trialist, right? As you know, it's a, it's like it's pack handling. It's fighting for those spots, like coming in, those run-ins to the climbs. It's getting through like Flanders and, and Roubaix-type stages, right? Like that like are really suited to like the sprinters and the, the crazy classics, man, right? Like those are the guys that thrive in that stuff and – if you're a GC guy, you just have to adapt to everything. Shit weather, hot weather, crazy mountains, cobbles. Ah, it's impressive. And I, I think of those years that I did it friggin' um uh what's his face there? Nibbly would have ran like second or third, and then it's just an and uh like it just shows there's a real ability there, right? Like his his uh riding style and, and ability is not just based off of power and vo2 and all that crap it's there's a lot more going on in, in a guy like that and i think that's something you know for young guys to, re to really understand is that there's a lot more to it <laughs> than just being an engine yeah. right to just being a, a, a watts machine and just like all those skills though like all those skills wrapped up into a you know a skinny climber for instance and versus like the classics it's just like there's everyone's a pretty big you know a big body big in those yeah. situations there yeah i mean a lot you of know? guys are running 80 kilo right and i always remember sometimes yeah. i'd get because like towards the end um of my career i i was kind of i would get put on a lot of projects i would i would sometimes do our den style races after the classics i'd go to a catalonia you know um and and i would come in maybe late for the northern classics right i was kind of being just 
thrown around, which I love because I love the different uh, race program. And, and if I just wanted to be places where I could help guys do, do well, you know, and it was so funny because I would come from like a, a Depana into, or vice versa. I can't remember the, how the dates lined up in those days, but I would come from one to the other, right? So I'd be in up in the North in the cold with a bunch of big boys, you know, like guys who are tall, like big Dutch and Belgy guys, right? All like 80 kilo. I think of my, my good friend, uh, Jens Morris, you know, like 90 yeah. kilos, you know, like I remember one of our, uh, our sports scientists, he would just look at me and be like, he would never say anything nice about his, his power or his cycling ability. He'd just be like, man, you would make a great rower. You know, this is like, <laughs> as he's, he's been a professional for like the last 10 years. And that's what the kind of advice, the sports science is like, basically there's nothing you can fucking do. You're too big, but man, he was good in the classics <laughs> and the powerhouse, you know, but you'd be around those kinds of guys and that kind of mentality, like, as you know, like for those big days, you got to smash food, right? Those guys obviously like powered away and all that stuff's important. It's not out of hand, but these guys eat like horses, right? And then I'd get thrown on like a Cat Catalonia crew and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I'm looking at everyone. They're like 20 kilos lighter than me, eating like mice, you know? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> yeah. fucked. <laughs> yeah. And, and like they would just be riding tempo and I'm on my fucking limit going up these these long climbs, right? You, I'd be psyched to just make it over in the group, right? And that's just the difference yeah. of like cycling was a lot more like that where um, I find like now more and more it's becoming hybridized. Like these these guys are so skinny, but yet they can put out so much power. And uh, it just fascinates yeah. me the evolution I've seen in my time because back in the day, Sprinter was a Sprinter. Climber was a climber. Time trialist was a time trialist. And then, like, uh, you know, you had, like, it all kind of made sense. Whereas now I'm just, like, I'm looking at a guy who looks like a, a skeleton, and he's putting out massive wattage, ripping it on a TT bike, still has a good sprint, and then climbs like, uh, you know, through me. And, and yeah. well, which is essentially through me. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> there's a guy i remember in the tour de france where i had one of my best time trials ever it was a flat tt up in normandy and i'd like i'd had a big week but my like so i had my team goals and then i had this one personal goal was to still to rip it in this time trial is a 40 45k like super long but perfect kind of rolling windy tt for me and i was like oh this is this is my chance you know because i was on pretty good form this is back in like 2013 and uh okay. i remember i put everything into this bloody ride i i smashed myself i smashed myself i put out really like i can't remember the numbers but they were good you know for like an hour it was like yeah. 450 watts kind of that that kind of <laughs> stuff like i was like that was awesome you know and i remember i ran sixth place i think Frumi won and tony martin was second and so I look at those two physiologies. So that was when Tony was like kind of at his peak, right, for time trial. He's, Tony's right. still an incredible, incredible rider. But I remember just looking at those two physiologies and just going like, how is that possible? And that's that's where that started to all evolve in my mind. And that's that's something that still fascinates me to this day because I'm, I'm looking at these these young guys and they're just – they seem skinnier and skinnier. And uh, – yeah, I don't know how they're doing it, but fuck, are they flying, man? It's it's incredible to watch. I mean, like I think for a bit there it was when we were doing it was just like Sagan that was kind of doing the 
crazy climbing plus the classics and the that's right you know, even yeah. now there's just like so many so many of them that are doing this type of <laughs> falling in this new category we'll call it that's right i mean i remember um when sagan first came onto the scene i remember i was on it was my my last year with garmin i remember vandevelt telling me about this sagan kid i guess he knew his coach or something like that he's like oh yeah wait till you see this uh this young slovakian kid sagan and i was just like oh yeah you know you always hear that kind of stuff and then yeah the the following year you and i I'm pretty sure you were there, but the Sardinia? Did you do Sardinia yeah, with us? I, I, did, I didn't do Sardinia, no. But I was in Liguria the days before with him. Ah, and there uh, you go. So he's yeah. he's winning winning bunch kicks, winning uphill yeah. finishes, right? And he he must have been 20 years old at this point, no? Like somewhere yeah. around 20 yeah. 21, yeah. And I think even I at that, just, yeah, no, at that time too, they were still like they hadn't even figured this guy out because that. That was like a Sardinia, I think, was a, a big swaying point for the team because we were at days before in uh Liguelia and it was like Basso was in the group and and we were like maybe 20 guys, 25 guys, but they kept on attacking and then they lost the race. But Sagan just destroyed us in the what was left of the group sprint, and uh, it was like, oh, okay, well, this guy could have won the race if we weren't racing like idiots, yeah. And the, yeah. that's no then, uh, that's no cakewalk, Liguelia. I mean, that's that's like a no. San Remo area, right? It's all just up and down, left, right, and center, right? Yeah, and they've they've changed it a little bit over the years, but it was is yeah, it's a hilly race. Like you don't come with many people to the finish, and and then that was when like three days later you went on that first tear at at uh, Sardinia, where you were. That's there. right. Yeah, and you you ran you you've had some good placings in Liguilia. What what was your uh, best result there, Randy? Well, that was I th- ah, maybe I was eleventh. Sagan Sagan was beat me in the yeah. so the small group went away and and um was anyways we we he won what was left of our group and I think I was eleventh or tenth or something like that. Uh, I, but I was happy. That was another spring race. The so first race with Spider Tech and I was good. Yeah, good there that was who was it. Uh, well, somebody was just coming back. Deluca, <laughs> remember Deluca? Oh yeah, LPR breaks. <laughs> yeah, that, it was like that, that, that dirty team. Yeah, it was. Just, yeah, <laughs> first race back. Deluca, Deluca, Deluca. <laughs> Wasn't a fan. Oh, I remember he, he used to just give me dirty looks when I was on Garmin. He would like because he was so small, you know. He just kind of look at me with this yeah. disgusted face, like you fat. Amer-. He must have assumed I was American, so. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just give him my cool grin, like, mm. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll wrap it up there, eh, Rand? And uh, yeah, we'll uh, start hopping into some uh, chats with some guests. Which, uh, yeah, I hope that kind of gives you. I mean, we, Randy and I, I reckon could go on and on and on with with all of our different stories. But um, you know, that's kind of who we are. That's kind of our character. And, and uh, that's what we hope to bring out of uh, our guests talking shit about uh, what it takes, the experiences they've had, and, and uh, yeah, just some good stories. So we'll say uh, arrivederci, au revoir, catch you later, <laughs> to our Italian and French <laughs> friends. Linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, very yeah, international. Yeah. Right. Call it there, Ren. Yeah, good stuff.